Hello and welcome back to the Holtcast and Aston Villa podcast. I'm James Rushton, joined again, once again, by Cole Petham. How are you doing, mate? Pretty good. Yourself, James? It could have been a better day, if I'm honest. So I was at Aston Villa versus Leicester today. Um, the pouring rain for 10 minutes, it was like pretty biblical. Um, but there was no promise of a miracle for Aston Villa today. It was a crushing and probably expected loss against a high-flying Leicester City, who now sits second in the Premier League table with around, I think it's 38 points. So that 40-point target Villa are looking to hit. Leicester have already hit it, which really puts things—it puts everything into perspective for us, Cole. Oh, absolutely. It's a, a target we wish we could hit already. A little unrealistic because Leicester are, are second and eight points off top. Um, but it, it's a tough one because we're going to go through this game, of course, and as fast as possible. But uh, it, it's a tricky one because... It could have went either way, and it just didn't, and it's frustrating, and I'm sure you're more frustrated because of the weather, James. <laughs> oh, no, I was all covered up at that time. I was feeling a bit sorry for the fans in maybe the Doug Ellis stand as the rain sweeped across the pitch and hit them directly in the face, but uh, no, a frustrating game. Um, 4-1 to Leicester City, and the scoreline does them justice, and they probably or should have had more goals than the four they scored. Um, Jamie Vardy back to Kalichi here. Nacho with one. And of course, um, Johnny Evans with another. Uh, Jack Grealish grabbed the one for Aston Villa. And it was a bit of a tough game for him. But Cole, we expected at, at least maybe a, a, a loss or at best a draw. I don't think we expected a, a win going into this one. Um, Leicester are flying high and for good reason. Look, the form bottoms out eventually. But right now, they're on top of the world. If you ignore Liverpool... They are the points point to them being the best team in the league and they are solid. They are sound. They attack with, you know, with gusto. They defend well. I think that's 10 goals they've let in all season, which speaks for, you know, nine going into this. That speaks for itself. Oh, 100 percent. Very cohesive, very well balanced. Uh, Rogers getting the best out of that. And I think the thing that annoys me the most about this is Rogers' comments after saying basically uh, he essentially with our fullbacks playing like wingbacks, he could completely isolate our center backs. And I don't know how many times that was proven today, especially um, if we're going to dive into that, the, the Ming's injury issue. What's your thoughts on that? So Ming's got injured chasing for the ball on the wing and he has to do a lot of fullback covering. He has to cover Matt Target because Matt Target is essentially roving up the wing, which is what our fullbacks do, as Brendan Rodgers rightly pointed out. That means that the centre-backs have to do a hell of a lot of work covering from them. They have to cover a lot of ground quite quick and that doubles up, especially when you've got a pacey and quite direct Leicester team that you're constantly chasing down. So Tyron Ming's runs to the uh, the flank and he goes down injured. Um, there's a slight delay whilst they're assessing the the muscle injury. I think it was a, it looked like a hamstring injury because he was holding his hamstring. Um, he's brought back onto the pitch, and then they play over the top to Jamie Vardy. Tyron Mings can't catch up at all, so he Vardy just floats around the keeper and scores. So our uh, our problem there is kind of compounded by Mings's injury, and maybe a bit of solid management there would be to to bring him off. And I know Dean Smith certainly has his reasons, such as you know Mings doesn't. Co- succumb to muscle injuries but I think in football play that can happen to players this is a high intensity and it is a contact sport people you know you, you're running a lot you you're, you're having you know battles with other players you are going to succumb to muscle injuries whether you're prone to them or not and you know I may be taking him off there and then would have been the best shot because there was about 30 yards uh on Vardy playing him through into an open goal basically yeah, honestly, I don't think that goal happens if he comes off and that's Angles. Even though Angles isn't as fast as Mings, that definitely, in my opinion, wouldn't have happened. You look at there, Kanza struggling to defend, but he's also kind of trying to force him out wide a little bit. And, of course, that's Mings's job to kind of come in behind and pressure and hopefully get that away. And you can kind of see it throughout that whole sequence. He has probably about, like, a 20-yard little, I wouldn't even call it a dash, more of a jog than he kind of speed walks and then tries to walk or to run again and he clearly can and of course at that point it's one nil james it's it's tough to take because you always knew leicester were going to score on their day you know they are going to score they're a good attacking team and that ball over the top to jamie vardy is lethal it's been happening for years and teams can't really stop it they sit low to stop it he, he finds a space behind he, they play a high line against leicester to contain them and obviously they can play the ball over the top there it's a uh, 
it's a scary thing to deal with. And the fact that we conceded such a soft goal so early on kind of set the match up for us because Villa, they had a lot of fight, but not a lot of substance. And while our guards, he misses from what I've viewed in the whole end, there's quite a clear cut chance. And if I go on under stat to check the shot quality, there's 0.54 XG on that, which that's our best chance of the game that from basically point blank range on the right foot, he misses and it bounces back into play. You know, the whole goal is there to shoot at and we should have a goal there. And it's annoying that, you know, we aren't able to bounce back that quickly when there's a gimme like that. Yeah, it's there. This was honestly the first 20, 25 minutes, even 30 minutes of this game. You could say we're just completely back and forth. Um, so many opportunities going both ways and on his day on where Ghazi could have had a hat trick today. It's, it was one of those kind of games where if someone like him is in top form, it could have honestly been four, four with how wild it was going. Um, but with that being said, James, if we're going to get into the second goal here with Lester, what were your thoughts on that one? So is this the, can you remind me who scored this one? It was the, he and actually one at the, uh, the post, right? I believe, yes, yes, correct, yes. Uh, This one was extremely frustrating because this one, it it comes after a segment of quite fancy play by Chilwell on the wing and everyone, um, people around me in the stands were just like, just shaking their heads in utter disbelief at how many times we were able to lose the ball in such a short sequence of play and Ben (laughs) Chilwell be able to stand so tall and get a ball into the box and all, you know, here natural, all he has to do is tap it in across. It's just... We give two really good, and we made Leicester work. We make teams work for their chances. Yes, they have a lot of shots, but we're putting a lot of bodies in front of those shots. But we made it so easy for Leicester to just have two really good chances and put them both away. And I think that's so frustrating to see that we have a good chance and we just miss it completely. We we spurn it entirely, and it is it's just frustrating to see because look, we're a good attacking team. And we don't have to put everything through Wesley. We have inside forwards who are cutting in and get making chances. We've got Grealish and McGinn who are having chances. I don't think it all needs to come down to Wesley. But when this, when you have, you know, all these chances happening in the other end, when we are making quality chances in front of goal and then giving them away, we got problems. Like serious problems with that. Like our defence is an issue, and Dean Smith has brought that up himself. We've got body, quality bodies in this defence, but something isn't going right, and I think that's how we're approaching these games, because we're just walking up quite naively. And I'm sure that's not the case. I'm sure this coaching team, they're all qualified, they're all more knowledgeable than me, they're better than me in this regard, but we are walking <laughs> into games so naively, mate. Like it, it's, it's almost like dumbstruck. I, I think actually a good point. I was talking with... Uh... Mark from the uh, Villa Lamp podcast, or the website, I should say too, as well. Um, around the lamp or gaslit lamp, you know what I mean. I'm getting, I'm butchering this. Yeah. So, yes, yeah. Sorry, Mark, if you're listening to this, I'm a little foggy today. It's Sunday. Um, but anyways, with that being said, we were having a little discussion, um, and he was saying his friend brought this up, an opposition fan from another team, and it was actually a good point where our fullbacks are playing more like wingbacks and we're still playing with just two center backs. And with that being said, it's so kind of obvious, but I've never really thought about it that way. And with that being said, James, do you think this is solved if maybe if we go with three at the back and we have these wingbacks push forward, because there's no way that we're going to have continued success this season. If we're going to play with wingers and wingbacks. I think it might be core for even two defensive midfielders and you allow John McGinn to kind of do his thing at the head of that midfield triangle because if we have the two sitting midfielders we can afford to be a lot more expansive of the ball I mean if we're playing two centre backs and pushing our wing backs high we're we're, we're approaching games like Manchester City and we're, we're not Manchester City we're approaching games like our world on football manager you know you know try I want to sit and watch good football and then get hammered eight now you know this is not how you're going to survive and look at the stats say we're giving up a lot of chances we're in the bottom four for the quality of chances we've given away and we might be in the top six or seven for chances created, Cole, but that's going to mean nothing if we're not scoring them and the other teams are. And that's what it comes down to is the, the quality of chances we're giving away is just astounding. And there hasn't been much reaction to that. We're not seeing a deeper line. We're not seeing more defensive midfielders. We're not seeing our midfielders sit. We're not pulling in the fullbacks. We're just doing the same things. And maybe that def- that does come to the coaching stuff but they know this problem they have brought this up this problem up to everyone if people weren't looking at the stats dean smith told them what was wrong with this team and that is the chances we're giving away so i really don't really know what's going on yeah i i think it's a tough one because if you look at games like the newcastle game 
Um, even the Brighton games teams in and around us, probably mid to lower table, um, end of the table, I should say. Um, it, it works there. It's pretty effective. But you have to kind of give respect where it's due when you're playing the Man Cities, the the I guess you could even say Chelsea's, the, basically the top four, maybe the top six. You have to give them some more respect here because, yeah, this run and gun kind of football is fun to watch. But at what point do you change things for these games? Because actually, and I want to bring this up right now because I think it's a good point. Yeah, two defensive midfielders would be great, especially when you're playing the likes of Leicester. But going forward and kind of changing uh, points of view, what do we do with John McGinn here? Do you think he needs a rest? Because he's played a hell of a lot of football over the last few months and he looks absolutely gassed. I mean, potentially uh, he's playing a lot for Scotland. You know, he's one of the, he's, he's starting for them basically uh, quite a lot. He's one of the first names on our team sheet. Um, but then if that's true for John McGinn, it's probably true for players like Wesley and Jack Grealish, Mings, um, Target, and even, you know, I know Will Bear, well, Gilbert was uh, injured. Uh, suspended, sorry, so he missed the game. But look, the, these things are going to add up, and it's not just going to be a, a John McGinn problem. It's going to be completely and utterly an across-the-pitch problem. And I'm glad to see Al Ghazi back uh, in the team. He had a nice rest, but we are putting a lot on this first team. And it's not just players like Grealish and McGinn we're putting a lot on. It's this first team. It, it barely changes. There's a few changes we can predict every week. But for the most part, that core is staying the same. And injuries are going to be common, like Mings has picked up one, and that's probably a muscle wear problem, you know, a hamstring, it's it's, it's wear and tear issue, it's it's, it's a battle-worn injury, so, uh, you know, if we're going to rest, talk about resting John McGinn, maybe we need to talk about resting the, the rest of the team, because we are not in a position to, to completely rotate and rest, are we? Yeah, that's true, no, that's a good point, because... It, like I'm not trying to be negative here, but if you're going to lose 4-1 to Leicester anyways, and I know you can't pre-predict that and you don't want to if you're Dean Smith because that's just completely negative and wrong. But if you know this is going to be a tough game and the likes of Mings, maybe McGinn, uh, a few other players need some rest, why not give uh, Courtney Hawes a chance? Why not give uh, Lansbury a chance to start there? You know what? These are fringe players that are going to be good substitution options, good for... Um, late change and stuff like that. But eventually, with how, honestly, thin our squad is in some areas, we have to. It, it's just a matter of that because what would you rather have? Would you rather have Mings go off like he did and you never know how bad it is, lose him for even a few months? Or would you rather suck it up, play someone else, and if essentially save Mings if you know something's not right? It's difficult. I mean, we can't sit here and be totally negative yeah. about things like... Can't predict the but, future. Yeah, Villa are where they are. They've had a really tough run of games. We had Liverpool, uh, Man City, Chelsea, Manchester United, and now Leicester. And those teams are the, the top set of teams, right? And now the schedule lightens up a bit. I know Sheffield United next week is going to be a hard test, but we've got Watford, Norwich, Burnley, Watford again, and Southampton. So things are going to lighten up. But what I do worry about is that, again, the chances we're giving, you don't only need to give one to like a Watford or a Southampton or a Norwich with Pukey up front. And like, you've given the match away because they're an excellent finisher. And we can't do that. We can, we can gun at them. But if we're going to be so open at the back and not rotate and not be a bit more kind of structurally sound, I guess, that's not going to be an easy schedule or just because it's Watford or because it's Norwich. If you keep giving up these big quality chances against every team, that's just going to bite you. And like a 1-0 result to Aston Villa, probably gets turned into a 1-1 or a 2-1. And then you start looking at kind of a nosedive situation. Like, I believe in this team and I believe in Dean Smith and I believe in the players. We've got the look, you see Jack Grealish dragging the matches into his own hands like this one. You see John McGinn doing everything he can. I believe in the quality of our team, but there could be a nosedive quite quickly if we're not able to get on top of his schedule. And that has to start next week against um, Sheffield United. But more on this match, um, it was kind of, it was kind of odd to see Jack Grealish's role in this one because he scores quite a good goal on the 46th minute. And that's that at that moment it's two one to Leicester. And we go into half time and we're thinking, right, we we can mount a fight back here. We've seen that we can fight back. And it's not a few minutes after the return to action that Johnny Evans gets three one and the match is over. The match is over on 40, 48 minutes odd. Yeah, that was extremely poor marking from El Mahabadi on that one. I uh, love the guy, but I think today, uh, especially against teams like Leicester, show that he's getting a little past it, 
decent utility player, decent for depth, but wow, was he out of his depths today. I thought he had a really poor game. There's so many instances with him in particular. I'll get on to the, this goal in a second where, especially attacking-wise, like we'd be on the edge of the box with him, and he would literally just pass it right to a Leicester player, and they'd break. I don't know. There's probably three times where I counted, at least in the first half, that he did that. But onto this Evans goal way too easily. They're able to really kind of push and just knock essentially Elmo away from him. And it just leaves him with, honestly, it was a great header, like fair enough. And with that being said, James, what are your thoughts on that? And with that being said, where does this leave uh, Elmo in this team? I guess it's back on the bench. I mean, he's a good, he's a good player. He's got a, an actual absolute weapon of a, a right foot. His crosses are mm-hmm. you know, amongst the best in this team. But the problem is, there's very few players who will be able to get on that cross. Like that's not Wesley's game at all, as tall as he is, and as good as the air as he may be, as he potentially may be if he starts winning these duels more often than not. Like that's not his game. His game is bringing other players in and hoping someone else is in the box. So, you know, we're trying to be this aerial team like we were last season with Tammy Abraham, you know, Fox in the box. We're not like we're crossing to no one because Tammy's not in this team. You know, we've got a completely different player in Wesley. So, you know, his role for me, it's 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 diminished. Like, who's going to get on the end of the cross bar Trezeguet? Like, they've got a good connection and it works. But, you know, to, to force that situation where two certain players have to be in the team for stuff to work, like, that doesn't work for me. I think we should be playing a different way. We, we play better with uh, Gilbert. He's a he's yeah. a better he's a more attacking and if we're gonna go four tilt on the wings, we need two players who're gonna go four tilt on the wings. And Almo is an attacking fullback, but his attacking is crosses, whereas Gilbert's running into the box and looking for that final ball. And that's the way we need to play. We need to play to feet because that's how our team works best. If we're playing it in the air, Wesley's not there. That's not his game. He's sitting too deep. So I mean Almo's role there, if Trezeguet's starting, for me, it's a tough one. It doesn't exist. Honestly, I think that's a really good point you just brought up there because when I think about it too, and this kind of goes back to Dean Smith, because if essentially you're going to play all guns blazing, which sometimes works for us and is probably the best way and the where we've got our results, then play that way. Like, why play target and then play Elmo unless there's something wrong with Gilbert that we obviously don't know about? But uh, no, that's a really good point. I just really wanted to mention that. Yeah, and it doesn't. The match doesn't get better from there. I mean, that three-one. Look, Johnny Evans, good in the air, good defender. Set pieces. These things happen. People lose mark. That you know, on corners, people are meant to lose their marker. That's why. That's why you score from corners. You have a low percentage chance chance of scoring, but these things happen. Goals from corners happen. It's four-one to Jamie Vardy. Seventy-four minutes, and you know, it's not often this season. It's not at all actually this season. I've never wanted the match to end. This one, I wanted that final whistle blown on 74 minutes because it's humiliating, right? Leicester are a Midlands club. They're a proud Midlands club. I'm proud of them because they're from the Midlands and what they've done in the past few years because I'm a Midlands football guy. I'm a Villa fan. I love the Villa, but I'm a Midlands football guy in this area that deserves a lot more respect than it gets. Look, the football history in this area is incredible. But you've got Leicester there, who we haven't seen at Villa Park in years, playing us off the park, battering us and singing about going back to Europe. And we Aston Villa and we go on so much about being the big dogs of the Midlands and we're getting played off in our own pitch. This should be happening at the King Power, not Villa Park. So I'm kind of especially upset about that. They deserve the win. They played so well and it hurts to say that because they earned every single goal they scored. Yeah, like it's another tough one because I almost wonder, and this is a game of what ifs now for me, but like if El Ghazi scores on that one, he hit off the bar so early on. What does that do to Leicester? Does that rattle them? Does that bring them down to reality a little bit more? And it's, I think today especially, it, it, it kind of exemplifies that football is a game of inches and chances, and essentially Aston Villa aren't taking theirs right now. No, I mean, that if look, if that Al-Ghazi goes, goal goes in, it is a big what-if moment, but look, that would be the 10th goal they've conceded. They're on the back foot. You know, or to give that is a you know that's a big part of their season is being blocking these goals and keeping leads and being sound all over the pitch to score an early goal against them changes the complete complexion of the game and maybe forces Leicester onto the back foot because look whether they wanted to be in it or not they're now in a title chase kind of accidentally because Man City have dropped off a bit look Liverpool are so far ahead of them but 
there is a bit of pressure on this team. It's not just a free hit. They've got an, an opportunity to finish in the, a Champions League spot that wasn't there at the start of the season. Mm-hmm. They've got a lot to do to kind of get there. You can't just you know, rest on your laurels and say, right, we're how many points in, in front of City, Chelsea and Manchester United? We're fine. Let's just coast the rest of the season. And they've got to fight. They've got to continue to fight to earn that spot because for Leicester, even though they did win the Premier League, this doesn't or shouldn't happen. There are an, There's an establishment to break into and they are breaking into it. So they've still got a fight. But look, if we score that goal early, the game changes. And it's especially annoying that we can't finish in that situation because... We, we do seem to have these really good chances and it's not coming from Wesley. It's coming from the players it's supposed to come from, like Algarz and Trezeguet. And we're spurning them. And it, it's frustrating, Cole. What do we do with Wesley from here, James? Because there's so many people that just can't stand the guy in terms of performance. Um, and there's some that keep saying, give him some more time. Where do you stand on that fence? I was quite reactionary after the Chelsea match. Are we going to speak about Chelsea? Because I really don't feel like it now. I feel a bit broken speaking about Leicester, mate. But um, (laughs) with Wesley, after the Chelsea game, I was a bit reactionary, I think. And I think I was a bit unfair saying, look, it's time to start Kodja. Let's start Kodja. We've got no other option. Wes is the guy. Keenan Davis isn't around. And Wesley is the type of player that will absorb pressure, bring the, the wide players into the game and kind of create chances the good way, ball on the floor, bringing them in, holding the ball, making sure the more talented players or, you know, the playmakers get the ball and can spring it into a dangerous area. Whereas, you know, a, a Maupai or Tammy Abram is that all action complete forward. And that's not Wesley's game. Wesley's game isn't scoring every single goal the team makes. But I look at the, you know, how many goals he scored. He hasn't scored in a long while. I think it was in Norwich's last goal. So he has been you know, yeah. two international breaks since his last goal. It's been a, it's a bit of a goal drought, but out and out goal scorer, that's not his game. He's making chances for every other player on this team. And look off football around, in and around the box. He's getting far too pretty. And that is because of what Wesley does. I wish he would just lash his foot out a few more shots. But then again, I guess that's not his game. And we see another different type of striker in Jamie Vardy, who's relishing playing between centre-backs, you know, doing his game. He's he's running into whatever channel he wants. He's got complete freedom and he's scoring goals. Jamie Vardy is an elite striker. He's a direct striker, whereas we have got maybe the type of striker that an Arsenal would want, a team that is you know, all Arsenal at their peak, a, t- a player that makes the team better in Wesley, whereas we kind of need maybe someone who's a bit more selfish, maybe someone who's a bit more direct and maybe more of a focal point. So I think the criticisms we aim at Wesley are more because we're looking for Tammy Abraham. He's not there. It's a ghost of the past. He's at Chelsea. Now you've got Wesley, who's a different player. So I get the frustrations. Our £22 million player isn't scoring every single goal that's presented to him, but he's making enough chances for the other the other players in his team to work. And look, he's the only person we've got. It's not going to change. And he's fighting two centre-backs off a game and a central defensive midfielder. He's got a hard job, Cole. Yeah, I still think we need to like change this formation and change it quick. Yeah. If we're going to stick with a 4-3-3, I'm okay with that, but I think you have to move Grealish into more of a central attacking midfielder kind of yes. thing. We need to kind of, well, definitely in January, we need another winger regardless, in my opinion. Um, so I would actually put an out and out winger there. And then, of course, if you're going to have two sitting midfielders, you're going to have McGinn and you're going to have, I guess you could have Hurahan, Nakamba or Louise. I guess you could go there or, you know, you never know, Lansbury. So with that being said, I just think there's some little tweaks here and there that we're not making and ultimately I think that's harming Wesley because he's not going to be the focal point and which is frustrating because I think his size and his structure and his build kind of makes him extremely deceiving and we're expecting him to essentially be what Rudy Gested never was which in the championship Gested at the time with Rovers was uh, extremely kind of a fox in the box he's going to win those headers more like an Andy Carroll type and he might be that big, but honestly, he, he that's not how he plays. And it, it, you're it's almost like you're trying to shove a triangle through a circle. Like, it's just, it's yeah. not going to work. Um, and with that being said, uh, it, it's frustrating. And I know in January, people are going to say that we need another striker and all that kind of stuff. But uh, it's more than that. Like, there's holes in this team. And Dean Smith, is he, I guess here's a good question. Is Dean Smith too 
stubborn? Is that the issue with this? Or like, what is it? Because clearly this formation is making us extremely caught out and it's just becoming too obvious to the opponent. I see like formations are good. It's good to speak about formations because I think we can all key in on what a 4-4-2 brings versus like a 3-5-2 or a 4-4-3, for example. But it's only numbers, right? We've got player roles that kind of aren't gelling and look the players. I don't like going back to this Al-Ghazi goal or goal scoring situation because we've spoken about it a lot this, this episode. But look, you're getting players who are getting teed up in their roles to score and aren't scoring. He scores yeah. that goal. At the very least, it's 4-2 now, not 4-1, you know, and that is some some minor consolation. But in context, that goal changes the game. Even at 3-1, would only be, you know, a goal behind. And it's just, like, I don't know where you fix this team because changing formation just changes a set of numbers. It doesn't change player roles. And I, maybe... We, the most important thing is changing the formation to include a two at the end and getting a person up there, Wesley, regardless of who it is, like Trezeguet, Al Ghazi, even Grealish, Shadow Striker Grealish, just doing something to give him a bit more support because he wants to play the fancy ball, the you know the one twos, the triangles, and it's always going back to Jack, Jack which which is another major issue is that the whole team kind of works through Jack Grealish, and I've got a small problem with that. As as good as he is, you know, the whole team isn't going to succeed if he's been running to the ground every game because we're constantly passing back to him. Yeah, that's fair. You know what? Um, I'm frustrated about talking about this game. Let's do match balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I was getting annoyed as well. Um, but look, it's it's not all negative goal. There's there's some positives we can take, and that is that Wesley had a had a better game after some criticism midweek. You know, coming on fairly from me as well. Um, Jack Grealish uh, looked decent, some misplayed balls, um, but look, he, he's missed a Villa. He scored the goal. That's important. Trezeguet had a, a good run, John McGinn, maybe. Uh, Tom Heaton was Tom Heaton, solid as ever. Uh, match ball, I guess. I'm going to give it to Wesley, mate. Look, it wasn't a complete 90 minutes of spectacular forward brilliance, but like what I expect from players is if they've received criticism, whether fairly or unfairly, to bounce back from what is perceived as a poor performance. And his game against Chelsea was perceived to be a poor performance by uh, some, whether they were right or wrong. Today was better. Today held his ground. Um, good hold-up play. Uh, not always brilliant, but look, there's improvement there. I believe in Wes. Uh, I'll give him my match ball. Oh, that's fair enough. Uh, he's another one of those players that does the little things that people are just going to moan about because they don't notice it, and that's frustrating to see as well. But for mine, I'm going to have to give it to uh, Tom Heaton. Uh, even though he conceded four goals today, it certainly was not his fault by any means. He was an absolute rock and force um, in goal today and even took one right off the face from point-blank range. So, uh Honestly, I didn't look too bothered after that. Give a little sh- uh, shake of the head and looked fine. So uh, with that being said, I think that uh, shows how lucky we are to uh, have spent that 10 million pounds or so on Heaton and uh, how much of a bargain he actually has ended up being. I'll tell you what, if we didn't have Tom Heaton, we'd probably be uh, closer to Watford's position than we realize. Oh, yes, 100%. He, yes, it's been a, he's been a real one for Villa. A real good goalkeeper. Look, he's made his mistakes, but how many games has he kept us in with just something, a so, one or two solid saves? And even the little things, he knows when to rush out. He knows what to do. He's always calm with the ball. There's almost never any panic. The only real moments of true terror we've seen in him are against Bournemouth when he cocked up twice. And, uh, you, you know, th- those are bygones now. We've moved so far forward. So Tom Heaton, yeah, I completely agree, Cole. Yeah, it's hard. Like, I wanted to maybe give it to Grealish or someone like that, but in terms of performance today, I think he's just a safe bet. Yeah, I guess in the eyes of some fans, he may have let himself down as well. There was a lot of, uh, was it Indeedy he had a spat with at the end, kind of running through his back, and he he was sarcastically applauding the linesman. Look, I personally like to see this stuff. I like to see our captain get frustrated, get passionate, get maybe a little bit spiteful and petulant on the field. This is what we appreciate in our players. This is what we demand from our players is this passion. And Grealish bleeds claret and blue. And look, there is these silly incidents, but he wants to win for Aston Villa more than anyone else. It's impossible for anyone in a Villa shirt to want to win more than Jack Grealish, I think. So, yeah, I mean, he'd have been deserving of one for sure. But shall we move on to a little chat on Chelsea? That was midweek. Villa lost 2-1. I think it deserves probably a little go over. Yeah, why not? Go ahead. 
<laughs> well, of course, uh, we're at nil-nil. Uh, Tammy is getting free shots after free shot in the Villa box. The only thing that stopped him was the fact we was able to kind of rob him at the last second before he pulled the, the, the trigger. I, I tweeted, I think he's going to score. I was just about to put a bet on him being the first goal scorer, Chelsea 2-1, as per my prediction. And he scores before I can put the bet on. Uh, so that's a bit rubbish, but it was always going to happen and he doesn't celebrate fair play to him, but what a player like having, you know, Nabraham at Chelsea, Frank Lampard's doing a decent enough job there. They're a, I hate to say a fairly likable team nowadays. Mason Mount is a, a good playmaker, but you have players like Tammy Abraham are just constantly taking shots and they're being a bit greedy with the ball, but they're making sure that their team wins through good shots and good goals. And he gets another one against Villa. It's another free header, which is annoying because, uh, We've given it. We we gave gave a few of those away in the, the previous match against Manchester United. So annoying. Yeah, extremely annoying. And once again, I apologize for the dog. If you can hear that, he sounds like a turkey. Um, but anyways, <laughs> Stuck in the um, <laughs> actually, it's a little one this time, but he sounds just as bad. So it is what it is. But uh, no, it was kind of a weird atmosphere around this game from the get go. It's almost like a felt like a the Tammy Abraham Memorial game or something like that. Like we've lost our like second son next to Jack Grealish and it's kind of a sign of what could have been if Chelsea somehow foolishly let him come back to us and let us sneak in went there with a cheeky little bid so that's too bad to see what could have been but uh, no a very open game um, honestly I was going for more of a 1-1 or a 2-2 like there is lots of instances where we should have scored again um, this is a completely different Chelsea side than last time we faced them few years ago now and uh very young very inexperienced and i think it's one of those things again where we're just not taking our chances and uh, with that being said it's going to be a struggle with these games because things come thick and fast around this christmas period and if you're not taking your chances you're going to get punished with either one or zero points yeah and look we left stanford bridge empty-handed bar a few memories and i think we scored a good goal through Trezeguet. Great Almo cross. Um, Reese James completely caught out by Trezeguet, who kind of bundles it in. It's a perfect hat trick, actually, because he hits it with his he- head. I think his right foot and his left foot all in one move. So that's you know, <laughs> fairly special uh, doing that. Um, but it was disappointing to kind of concede directly after as well through Mason Mount. And that's a hell of a goal. And I think we grew back into the game quite well. I know Louise, uh, Douglas Louise, had a, a header kind of tapped off the line by Kepper in goal. Um, so that would have been 2-2, if not for a brilliant save. But look, we had our own brilliant save through Tom Heaton, who keeps that a William um, free kick. And, you know, stupendous save again from Tom Heaton. And we spoke about him a lot this podcast, but de- deservedly so. But that's a game where anything could have happened, even though Chelsea dominated. And look, I wasn't feeling too bad. I felt like away at Stamford Bridge, we never win there. Um, it's a good high-flying Chelsea team um, with a lot of spirit, even though they lost against um, West Ham the game before. Uh, maybe we could have nicked in with a draw there. Certainly, if uh, Kepa wasn't so on form, he may have snuck that 2-2 at the end. But look, they deserved their win. And uh, I don't think I was feeling too bad after. No, these are games, especially once we're coming off at that point, the back of a solid result against United there being 2-2. Um, I think a lot of people went with confidence into this game and we were kind of off the pace and that was kind of evident from the very start. Uh, it's a shame to see, but this is a Chelsea side that are most likely going to finish in the top four the way they're going right now and they're ticking along very nicely. And if you look at their goals... The first one, could we have done better? Sure. The second one, I, I don't know if anyone's going to stop that one. Mason Mount absolutely thrashed that. Um, again, it's just taking chances. And with Villa, I, I think and I feel that if we're going to be pushing forward like this and we're going to be attacking the way that we are, then you either have to stop with these cheeky little quick passes that you they almost want to pass it in the back of the net and that really reminds me of arsenal a few years ago that extremely frustrates me because how many times unless you're playing the perfect like barcelona football is that actually going to happen like just take your chance to start taking shots you don't know what's going to happen in terms of rebounds and I think you said it best earlier in the pod, James. I think it's one of those things where players like Wesley, players like Algazi, I just want them to put their foot through it and see what happens. 
Yeah, you've got to take a chance. Look, the best strikers in the world are the best strikers in the world, not because they're excellent finishers, but because they take a lot of shots. And even the best inside forwards and or forwards and wingers like Raheem Sterling, they're so good at goal scoring because they take chances and they practice their craft in game. They get better with each game because they're trying and they're trying to take shots and they're, you know, getting better towards being an elite finisher. And we're not having a great deal of shots. And our players like Wesley, and I think, you know, maybe it's his game kind of paradoxically as a striker to to shoot. But we do need players who are going to put their foot through the ball, just not from miles out like McGinn or Grealish or even Douglas Louise or Conor Harahan. Just players who, when they get in the box, are going to take chances because, you know, I'm looking at who took our shots and... It's just such an odd mixed bag of players. There's no one name that screams out, bar Al Ghazli. Wesley had like a shot in the box. Maybe he could double that next game if I was to be so bold to demand <laughs> him to, to do so. But Grealish is a, a name Al Ghazli and Grealish scream out. So it is our wide players who are shooting a lot. And maybe we need to not just be teeing them up to shoot a lot. We need to be teeing up our late arriving midfielders to, to, to shoot a whole bunch of times as well, because like it's, it's a basic sweet science that you're only going to score if you shoot. And we're certainly having opportunity to do so against uh, Chelsea and Leicester. We've certainly had opportunity to shoot when we haven't really took it. I honestly wonder what the odds would be for uh, Wesley to have over two shots in a game. If you're going to put that in a bet, like, what do you think? Like shots on target. Like, what do you think the odds would be on that one? And I'm not making fun of the guy. I'm honestly just curious. <laughs> I, I, it'd be a bit of an earner, I think, because I, like, honestly, it'd probably be like three to one. <laughs> like, <laughs> like th- this is just true. Like he, his game is giving others better chances like being a decoy runner on corners for example he's not the guy expected to nod it into the net it's Tyrone Mings but Wesley's a decoy runner because everyone thinks oh this is a big guy he's going to head it in by default he gives people a hard job he 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 makes it tricky for defenders but he's not a guy who's going to be taking a lot of shots maybe even though he's the best person to do so sometimes so it's tough because look it's it can't be a criticism of him because that's again it's not his game as weird yeah. as that may sound but you know, it's our, our wide players who should be doing the suit shooting. So maybe the Grealish thing worked out well on the wing, but maybe we do need Trezeguet and Algarzi, two out and out kind of attacking direct players. And maybe Grealish can go back to being a ball carrier in the middle. And maybe the team works better that way. But then you kind of look, McGinn and Grealish in the middle didn't really work that well for us in the early stages. And we got better against kind of quote unquote lesser teams with him out on the wing. So. I don't know where that one goes, uh, but, you know, we have to really force a conversation. We have to force a conversation about rotation at this point because there's not much options, Cole. Um, yeah. You know, with that being said, should we jump into the match balls for this Chelsea game? Let's do it. Um, uh, are you going to go for tough. Um, Okay. Um, that's tough. Um, you know what? I'll give it to Trezeguet. I, honestly, I thought... His performance was probably out of that whole squad. I thought was probably the best. And that's probably the funniest goal you'll see all season from a Villa player. Because to be fair, it's a complete fail of a header. And to have it hit off both feet and still go in, that's pretty good. Uh, Honestly, he seemed more of a striker than Wesley did in that game. And for him to even have more heading opportunities was pretty shocking. He's not the tallest guy. Um, So yeah, for there, I'll have to uh, give it to uh, Trezeguet. How about yourself? I was going to give it to a guy who was involved in the same movement. And look, he wasn't the best player on the pitch. He was involved in some kind of issues defensively, but that cross could only come from one player, and that's Ahmed Al-Mohamedou. He does that. It's his bread and butter, these gorgeous crosses into the goal, these dangerous crosses into the goal mouth. And we don't even have a sniff of goal <laughs> in that match without him. And that's yeah. damn true. Um, so, you know, it didn't work against Leicester. But he kind of earned his shot to at least have that try against Leicester because of his performance against Chelsea. But um, we've got one game, last game to speak about. We play Sheffield United um, next Saturday on the 14th of December at Bramall Lane. So it's away from home against kind of a high-flying Sheffield United team who have really punched against their, above their weight and against the uh, the wave of critics in the early part of the season who thought there'd be a, 
a shoo-in for 20th place. They're clearly, clearly not that. I mean, there's a long way to go in the season, but um, I can't see Sheffield United going down, Cole, at all. No, they're already on, I think, 22 points as it stands right now. Uh, five wins, seven draws, and four losses. So a uh, pretty tidy... Uh, tidy record right there leaves them in eighth and uh, that's pretty shocking because i think a lot of people would have easily written them down for one of the relegation spots and anything essentially could have happened but uh and still could happen but no they're very solid of course uh we're recording this on sunday and they beat norwich city 2-1 so that's a good result for them coming back from behind when they're one nil down so i'm sure they're going to be bring brimming with confidence against us and this is going to be another uh, battle of the newly promoted teams. I think we know what to expect somewhat because it's a similar setup compared to last season for them. They haven't changed too, too much. Um, but with that being said, it's another one of those things where they're a top 10 team right now. We have to give them a little bit more respect. James, how do you feel like we're going to set up for this one? Because I feel like this is going to be a pretty wide open game for us. And with... Uh, a team like them, we know what we're going to get from them. So how do we go at them? Yeah, a lot has been made of kind of how Sheffield United play, and that is just a kind of wave after wave of attack. And I know a lot was made of their, how their centre-backs play, which is almost as additional wide players, kind of overloading those wide areas. So there, there is room to attack, but not a lot of teams have taken advantage of Sheffield United and they haven't been completely writ off this season. Like many predicted they would do so because of their naivety and attack. It's not a naivety. It's a, it's a complete and totally fought out game plan by Chris Wilder. So I think Aston Villa do need to pay some respect and they do need to probably consider sitting a little deeper than they'd usually do and concentrating on the defensive aspects of their game. Because look, if there's a team that really likes to attack kind of teams in a, a similar position as them, like Sheffield United, a similar reputation, a similar league standing, I guess would be the, the, the better word. It's Sheffield United. You have players like Ed, Ender Stevens, a former Villa castaway, you know, a fullback yeah. scoring goals. You've got, you know, almost like this band of brothers mentality with Chris Wilder. His team's like, this team is full of castaways and write-offs and people who were told they weren't good enough, who are now suddenly good enough because they're all together. And that's a scary proposition because... You've got a Villa team who were highly thought of going into this season. Relegation's completely out of the question. We're out, we're aiming for eleventh, and we'll grab eleventh. And we've got Dean Smith, and we've got Wesley, and we are we've kept Jack Grealish. We've spent a lot of money. Whereas Sheffield United barely spent anything, and they've got mo- you know most of their team looks the same as it did last season, and they're playing the same way. Not much has changed. There's maybe been a little bit of adaptation for the Premier League. But from what I've seen in highlights, not much. They're still gunning at teams and they're still really buying into that underdog role they have. They love the fact that the world seems against them, even though it's not. So I think Villa have to be wary of that because this is a team that has now become kind of a scalp again for for, for like teams like Sheffield United and going forward, Southampton and Watford. We've become this scalp and I think we, we could be quite vulnerable. Going into Bramall Lane, we were last season 4-1 against them, I think. And <laughs> the same stands here. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough one because I think the biggest, one of the biggest issues for Villa this season, there's been a few definitely that we've touched on, especially today, um, would be the physicality issue with opposition. We clearly don't have the most physical team. Um, and when you look at a team like Sheffield United, Definitely very physical, not afraid to get in there and grind it out. And you look at their strikers, you have McGoldrick, who who would have ever thought he would be playing in the Premier League? I think he's, what, 33 now, 34? Yeah, close to. Yeah, so you have physical players in there that are going to be bruisers, and they're going to challenge your center backs, challenge your wing backs, your full backs, whatever we decide to play, probably wing backs, knowing Smith. Um, but uh, it's going to be a tough one physicality-wise. They're not afraid to get in there. Um, and they do like to overload the middle. And I've noticed that especially and use their fullbacks or wingbacks, depending on how they use them, to kind of pressure teams into giving up the ball. And if we're looking at it from that aspect, those are two things that Villa heavily struggle with. So, James, you almost have to go into this hoping Dean Smith actually takes into account what happened today and moves forward and finally changes something. I know we've been banging on about that for ages, but I think the change has to come in some way or fashion. Yeah, I think the problem is for Dean Smith and Aston Villa and us fans is you look at this game and you look at Sheffield United. They came up last season with us, so this should be a game we could win. And 
I think it's it's going to be a difficult one. It's not going to if we win, it'll be because of either some goddamn deserve the luck finally, or some really really hard work and a really thought out victory. Because Sheffield United, for the most part of the season, have been having things their way and they've been taking teams by surprise. So if Dean Smith doesn't learn from this Leicester match and learn that teams can just cut us apart at will because they have been doing all season, Sheffield United are absolutely no different. And that, that scares me. Um, 538, statsbods538.com, give Sheffield United a 45% chance of winning this game, which is, you know, almost as good as a total coin flip, whereas we have a 29% chance of winning. And that stands well for me. I think, look, we've got a better chance than this to win than in most games we've played so far. But look, this is a Sheffield United team in good form. There's a good atmosphere around the club. It's feel good. There's players like Lismus set of scoring goals. Um, everyone's getting involved on the act. Um, full-backs, centre-backs. It's... Pfft. There's a lot to like about Sheffield United going into this. And, like... Uh, I, I can't see... I can't see Villa getting here. And I don't want to be negative, but they're not... I don't feel like they're going to get the win. Based on what I've seen... That's fair. It's kind of interesting because if you look at Sheffield United, it's almost the mentality that Villa wish, wishes they kind of took on. The whole us against the world. Uh, we're not supposed to be here considering even though we went on an amazing 10-game winning streak and all that kind of stuff. I think that's almost what we are hoping we would have kind of entered the season with. And we did for a little bit, but that's kind of changed for us. And I think with that being said, it's it's going to be interesting because if you looked at their result against Norwich today, um, at the time of recording, they just they weren't really in it in the first half and they kind of grew into it. And I personally, nothing against Norwich. I think we're a better side than them currently, um, especially squad wise. I'd say we probably have the better squad, in my opinion, not trying to put them down or anything like that. So if there's Norwich fans listening to this somehow, don't hate me too much. But um, with that being said, I think if they can lose 2-1 to Sheffield United, and I'm not, not trying to base our performance off of a previous result, but I think we have a good shout here to get at them and, you know what, at least nick a point. Yeah, I, it, it's going to be tough. Look, this is a game where it's a team we're playing away from home. It's not a gimme. Um, we've got no right to kind of walk into their house and... Uh, strip them of three points let alone one so it, it, it's gonna be a, a pretty tough ask but look this is a team i may be way up as similar to brighton burnley crystal palace who are teams i think we should or should have beaten at home we beat brighton at home we but we, we drew burnley at home and maybe we lose to them away maybe we trade the points kind of perfectly i would expect us to beat sheffield united at home but going to their house as has happened in previous seasons, especially last season, it's not been an easy place to go. Oh, last season was no. horrific. Going to Sheffield United last season was horrific, and this is a slightly better Sheffield United than the one we saw last season. So if we go into this game as naive as the team we were last season, and not a lot has changed. I mean, Steve Bruce isn't the manager anymore. Dean Smith is, there's new players. But we're still heading into these games quite naively. Yeah, and if you look at our away results, I think, what, have we only won once on the road this season so far? So, it would be Norwich, wouldn't it? The the away yeah. win. Yeah, because I'm struggling to think of anyone else. I know we obviously had the draw against United. Um, besides that, I honestly, off the top of my head, I can't think of any other really positive results on the road. So, I think that has to be considered, too, because I know going at home you want to make that a fortress but you have to be just as good away in my opinion especially in this league um should we get in with the score predictions here james yeah absolutely let's uh close off the the podcast with a score prediction uh okay it's gonna be tough we're going to bramwell lane um sheffield united high flying in good form i want to back the villa i will go for a 1-1 draw, which I think would be a good enough result in that situation, kind of stop the bleeding a little bit and balance us out against a team who, look, form ends badly. You know, it doesn't last forever. Maybe Sheffield United can carry on for the rest of the season, but this good form has to stop eventually. So maybe, just maybe, if we're both in this relegation battle conversation come the end of the season, um, this will be an earned point and kind of keep us in a good position for that return match at Villa Park uh, later in the season. So I'll go for 1-1, Cole. 
That's that's fair because I'm looking at it right now, and if you're a gambler, I think over one and a half goals in this game is a pretty safe bet. So uh, there's my gambling corner for the week, I guess. Uh, probably the odds are probably terrible, but anyways, don't listen to me. I lose money. Um, but anyways, um, <laughs> scoreline wise, I'm gonna have to go with you as well. I I'm, I was thinking one one the whole time. I think that's pretty generous for us. I think if you travel anywhere in the Premier League, a point is pretty good. Um, for the most part, unless no offense to Watford fans, you're probably playing Watford. I would expect to win there, uh, but we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks time. But yeah, I'll go one one. Yeah, so uh, I think it's maybe a slightly positive note to end on the podcast after, uh, you know, what has been a kind of tough few weeks for Villa, you know, kind of feeling disappointed after drawing with Manchester United, losing against Chelsea and uh, of course, losing against Leicester City. But before we go, there is, of course, something we have to mention, which is that former Villa boss, Ron Saunders, did pass away yesterday. So this is Saturday. We're recording Sunday. He passed away after, uh, I think it was a, a few health problems. I know it was documented he had uh, Alzheimer's and was struggling with that in his old age. He did pass away at the age of 87. But, of course, this is a legendary Aston Villa manager. He won the league in the 80s. He built the team that would win the 1982 European Cup under Tony Barton. He managed Birmingham City. He was a Midlands football legend. And it would it would be a miss if we didn't mention that before we go, Cole. Yeah, extremely sad news, of course. Uh, my following of Villa wouldn't spam back that far because I'm only 25. So that was way before my time and definitely before, uh, before yours as well, James. Yes. Um, but it's one of those things that you said previous in the, previously in the podcast. Uh, Villa, we do bang on about the European Cup and that's a very uh, proud accomplishment as a club. And it'll it's one of those things those players walk by every single match week at home, home and away, for home and away sides, I should say. Um, it, it's massive for us, and he's the one that uh, brought us that glory. It's sad to see um, a great person, and the story I've kind of seen on Twitter with a few videos of former players like Andy Gray come out, where uh, there's stories that no matter, wh- I guess, what you thought of him, or essentially if you didn't even get to see a, a match with him in person being that manager, um, it just puts a smile on your face and uh, makes you realize that uh, – I, I guess what I'm trying to say is it kind of makes the result even harder to take today because he kind of wished the players went out a little bit harder and battled for that uh, that tragic loss. Yeah, uh, tough one to take. But look, Ron Saunders established history at Villa, a league title, that beautiful Division One t- um, trophy. And um, he, of course, built the team that lifted that legendary European Cup, the one lifted by Real Madrid, Barcelona, Liverpool, AC Milan, Manchester United. We're in that club because of the the path that Ron Saunders put us on, even though he wasn't to lift the title. Three League Cups as well. Um, a big slice of the history of Aston Villa. And of course, Carl, we'll end on the note that he once said, um, after a loss, would you want to bet against us? Would you want to bet against the Villa? And how I wouldn't want to bet against them this season after the fight I've seen. So we'll see you next week, hopefully after Villa bag three points against Sheffield United. Uh, keep it whole cast and up the Villa.